Something perplexed me for years after I became a Christian. I was taught that our spiritual gifts were a result of the second birth. I still believe that to be true, but here's where the confusion came for me. Looking back at my life, I've always been a teacher. I've always been able to see the bigger picture, pull loose concepts together, and explain them to people in an easy to understand way. When I was in junior high, one of our youth ministers, he pulled me aside and said, hey, why don't you start leading and teaching some of these Wednesday night Bible studies? I think you might be gifted in this area. So I did. I enjoyed it so much that I looked forward to it all week and people actually learned. When I was in high school, I wrestled. Our, our coach was an incredible man and led our team well. Sometimes though, it helps for athletes to hear or see something from the perspective of another athlete, especially one they know, someone who's on the mat with them. Why don't you show that move to them, coach would say. Explain it as you do and make sure they get it. They always did because teaching was my natural bent. Now, I didn't see any of this at the time, of course. In fact, I didn't see it myself until one day during my freshman year in college. We were required to give group presentations. That meant we had to speak in front of our peers. Now, comedian Jerry Seinfeld says that speaking in public is the number one fear of most people. According to him, death is number two. He humorously adds, what? <laughs> death is two? That means if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in a casket than performing the eulogy. Well, turns out he nails it. Most people in my class were mortified. Not me. I looked forward to the day anticipating not having to sit through a lecture and take notes while at the same time getting graded to do something I was good at and really enjoyed. When I finished speaking to the class, several of my group members pulled me aside. How did you do that? Do what? Talk. What do you mean talk? It just made things make sense, one of my friends said. She elaborated, we were all scared and you were just present and actually pulled people in like you were just having a conversation with them. How did I do it? I, I, I don't know what you mean, I replied. It honestly just comes naturally. And that's the key word right there. It just came naturally. Whereas other people in our group for that project naturally encouraged people by seeking unique ways to compliment them, I didn't. Whereas others on our team naturally looked for unique ways to serve by bringing snacks to group meetings or arriving early to reserve tables and save seats, such thoughts never crossed my mind. Whereas others naturally consoled people who experienced a rough day in class and made sure that they expressed sympathy to them before our meetings could officially begin, I didn't. No, I pulled ideas together, I packaged them in a way that people could comprehend them, and then I presented them. I taught. Well, the fact is we all have a unique bent. In fact, there's a verse that speaks to this. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he won't depart from it. Now, I've heard pastors, other spiritual leaders, and people console parents with wayward teens that this verse means something like, Teach those kids the Bible when they're young. They may leave the faith like a lot of kids do when they hit the teen or young adult years. They may rebel, but if you train them right, they'll be back. They propose this verse really promises a spiritual boomerang to parents who impart spiritual wisdom at an early age. Now, thankfully, that happens. When we stray, God calls us and our kids back to himself. There's nowhere we can run from his presence, according to Psalm 139 and 7. Even though the Father always draws us to himself, 
according to John 6:44 as well, that's just not what this verse says at all. Rather, this verse from Proverbs, it means something like, find that child's design, the blueprint for them. Discover how they've been created by God. Look for their unique bent, their hidden skill, the diamonds that are in the rough, then call those forth and train them in that. In other words, this isn't just a teach them the Bible verse. This is an all of life verse. So I I teach and I have for most of my life. Regardless of the venue, I've taught and I continue to teach. Before everyone had map apps on their phone, I was the guy you would want to bump into and ask for directions. You'd know exactly how to get there in just a few sentences. Regardless of the topic, I've taught and continue to teach. Now, a couple minutes ago, I told you that this was initially confusing for me. And here's where the confusion came. One of the most followed leaders in the 20th century was, and get this, Adolf Hitler. He was chosen Time Magazine's Man of the Year for 1938. Within four years after that, he led a murderous assault of 6 million Jews, peaking at the rate of 15,000 per day. And that number does include other casualties of the war. Well, where did Hitler get that kind of leadership ability? Yeah, God created him. And God created him with the capacity to lead at an extremely high level. Just because we have a gift, though, a natural-born skill set, it doesn't mean we'll use it in a way that honors our Creator. In the talent resides the potential for great grace or massive destruction. Now, let's circle back to my situation. Teaching, it might be a spiritual gift. Um, Now, I'll explain that when we get to talk in a few more lessons here. It's certainly one of those five equipper positions that I mentioned in the previous episode from Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, where it said, and he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. That's the fifth one. In either case, whether it's a gift or a fivefold office in the church, teaching is something that comes with the Holy Spirit. And as we've learned, the first time the Holy Spirit moves in you is when you become a Christian, when you're born again, that second birth. So here's what I'm getting at. In the show notes, I've put this graphic, and it says this, first birth is just when you're born. I think there's this thing that happens that, according to Proverbs 22.6, is your created design. You're made with a unique bent that has certain traits and talents and skills, this package that is uniquely you, and that at your second birth, you're given either spiritual gifts or you're giving an equipping role in the body of Christ. And that could grow and change over time, as we saw in the previous talk. We looked at the example of Philip. So let me talk about each a little bit. First birth, created design. Your natural talents, your abilities, and the bent that Proverbs speaks about, they're given to you when you're born. They're part of who you are. Sure, you may develop them and grow in skill, but they are a result of your first birth. Now, the second birth is spiritual gifts and or that equipping role. The Holy Spirit moves into your life when you become a Christian, and at this point, you receive spiritual gifts and or that equipping role. They are the result of your second birth. Now, for a long time, I thought maybe my ability to teach was given to me when I was born because God knew that one day in my early 20s, I would become a Christian. I thought my capacity to teach was a spiritual gift or an equipping role, but that's not how either of those things work. Gifts and fivefold ministry roles arrive with the Holy Spirit in time and space, and that doesn't happen until the second birth. 
In my case, that didn't happen until after my sophomore year in college, well after all of the examples that I referenced earlier in our time together, just in the past eight or 10 minutes. So where did the teaching gift in me come from? Well, teaching is part of how I was created. It wasn't a result of my second birth, that is of the supernatural working through me. Rather, it was a result of simply showing up on this planet over 40 years ago. When I was fearfully and wonderfully made in my mother's womb, as the scripture says, the Lord placed the ability to teach inside of me. It's part of my created design. Okay, so enough about me. Let's start talking about you. We see seven created designs in the New Testament. And though you may express yourself at any given time through any of them, you probably naturally lean towards one or two of these seven. Now, we read about them in Romans 12, 4 through 8. And Paul references that body of Christ analogy again, and then he mentions these. Let me read the scripture to you. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Now notice, Paul lists seven. I'm going to repeat them. Prophecy, service, teaching exhorting, giving, leading, and mercy. These created designs, they're one of the places in which we begin to look, think, and act differently than one another. Now, now think about it. The commands that God gives us in Scripture, including the verses that we discussed in episode 12 of this series where we talked about the will of God, those are the same for all of us. He wants all of us to be saved. He wants everyone to be filled with the Spirit. He delights in our sanctification. The, the spiritual disciplines, as we sometimes call them, they're the same for all of us. They're, they're all the same regardless of how different we are. But the fact is, we're different. And that difference, it begins with, with get this, how we were created. And how we were created, it includes our created design. That, that is, it includes that unique blueprint that Proverbs 22, 6 references. So if you look down in the show notes, I've got another graphic for you. It talks about, just on the left side of the graphic, instructional obedience. That's the question is, what does God's word already say? That's the same for all of us. And then if you look on the right side, it says created design. We're unique. What are my natural talents, abilities, and my bent? What are your natural talents, abilities, and a bent? And, and again, most theologians, they call that created gifts or created design because you're born with it. When you were created, these came with the package. Now, after really studying this concept, I've learned a lot about myself, and I think that you'll learn a lot about you, and you'll start understanding other people that are in your circle of influence, too. And here's maybe how we'll do it. The creation story is really one of the clearest ways to understand how all these created designs, these created gifts work, and how they're different. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to evaluate each of the seven created gifts from the creation story. I'll cover them in the order they appear. They appear in the exact same order that you see them in Romans 12. In the passage I just read, I'm going to explain them, and I'm going to provide you with a biblical example of each one. 
And then maybe we'll close out with a real life scenario where you can see all of these happening in the same time and space. So here's, here's number one of seven, prophecy. Now, prophecy means to speak what should be. Now, God spoke creation into existence using words to generate spontaneous order in Genesis 1, 3 through 5. In the same way, some people have a unique design that enables them to create order and destiny with their words. You may know someone like that. We see this on day one and on every day thereafter. So throughout Genesis the 1, the, the refrain that you see over and over is, let there be and then there is. Let there be light and then there is. Let there be animals and then there is. Let there be and then there is. Some people carry the capacity to speak into chaos and call forth life and design and even destiny. They declare things that are not and things that are not as they should be, and then they bring forth the gold to where those things come to fruition. Now, Proverbs tells us that life and death is in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18, 21. Anyone can condemn and anyone can diminish, but some people have a profound ability to use the power of words to generate life. Our biblical example is Peter. Of course, Peter was also the recipient of this gift. When Jesus called forth the greatness that was in him, as I saw in uh, lesson talk number two of this series, um, where we talked about Jesus showing us what we're really like, we see Peter address the crowd at Solomon's porch after healing the lame man while on the way to pray with John. Uh, this is in Acts 3.25. And when the crowd seeks an explanation as to how the miracle happened, he declares to them their true identity as people who are destined to be blessed as well. Some people are born carrying the capacity to speak life with their words at an ultra high level. You, you probably are thinking of someone right now. Number two, service is bringing order by helping. So on day two, God separated the firmament, dividing the water above the sky from the water below the sky, according to Genesis 1, 6 through 8. Some people's natural design enables them to wash others with words or deeds in such a way that peace comes. Now, many people walk with a grace and humility that empowers them to cleanse and minister grace to others, nourishing them in a profound manner. It never seems contrived. It always appears at the exact right time. Now, by the way, notice this. Notice how Paul says that husbands should love their wives in this way, washing them with the water of the word in Ephesians 5.26. This is something we should all do, yet it's definitely a creative bent for some people. And the Tabitha, she's also called Dorcas, maybe in your scripture, is our biblical example. She holds distinction as the first person we see resurrected after Jesus' ascension in Acts 9.36. We, we see her. The scripture tells us that after her death, the church was deeply saddened. We read that she spent most of her days making tunics and garments for the widows in the community in Acts 9.39. So serving doesn't have to be making something for someone, though. For instance, we read about another man named Judas, the man who invited Saul into his home after the Damascus Road experience and conversion. And though this Judas receives only one line of text in the scripture, he obviously played a pivotal role as his home is the sacred space where the apostle was healed, filled with the Spirit, and grew in enough strength to begin his ministry. You see that in Acts 9, 11. Number three, teaching. Teaching is finding seeds that grow into life. 
Now, on day three, God separated the water that covered the face of the earth, creating land masses. Then he spoke forth trees and other seed-bearing plants. That's in Genesis 1, 11 through 13. In the same way that trees bear seeds, which continue bearing fruit, some people have a design that enables them to speak nuggets of truth that empower others to either bear fruit or find spiritual refuge. Now, biologically, each tree carries unlimited potential for growth. For instance, when an apple tree blossoms apples, each apple contains numerous seeds, meaning each individual fruit from a tree has unlimited potential itself. And some people teach and expound upon truths in a unique way, multiplying revelation and insight, making it simple and accessible to others. Rather than living in the clouds, as some intellects do, these people have the ability to continually produce low-hanging fruit, something that others can grasp. Natural-born teachers don't make things more complex. They make truths more accessible. They deliver supernatural precepts that were previously inaccessible to others in the way they can see, understand, and then apply them. Now, a biblical example is the Apostle John. The Bible tells us that Jesus did so many things in his ministry that the world could not contain the books that would be written. That's in John 21, 25. Obviously, this is an exaggeration, but it makes a point. Jesus did a lot. However, John boils down the essence of what Jesus did into a gospel that really you can read in about 45 minutes. His biography of Jesus' life contains some of the most quoted passages in the entire Bible, as well as the short letters he penned to his churches distill the essence of Christianity to two action steps, walking in love, walking in the light. You probably know somebody that lives like that, that has that unique bent. Number four is exhorting. That means to awaken hope and awaken courage. Well, on day four, God called forth the sun, the moon, and the stars. This is in Genesis 1, 14 through 19. We read that everything in the heavens was created by him and continually declares his glory. That's Psalms 19, 1. And some people have an incredible ability to call forth the glory of God in people so that they shine like stars in the universe. That's what Philippians 2, 15 says that we're, we're to do is to shine like stars in the universe. People with that exhortation, creative design, they literally encourage others in such a way that they call forth the glory that resides in each of us many times when we don't see it ourselves. In Christian circles, we often focus on the negative side of accountability. That is, making sure people don't do the things they aren't supposed to do, things that they should stay away from. True encouragers walk at the worldview that causes them, though, to do almost the opposite, to call forth the destiny of people by naturally encouraging them to be the person they're designed to be. That's, that's the positive sign of accountability. These people bring hope alive. Barnabas is the perfect example for multiple reasons. When the early church was a young movement and had few resources, Barnabas sold a field and gave the apostles the money. That's in Acts 4.36. Then he was able to see in Paul what others couldn't see in Acts 9, 26 through 30. He defended Paul when his reputation was that he was a murderer of Christians, a persecutor of the church. Later, when John Mark bailed out on a mission trip, Paul refused to take the young man on the next one, but Barnabas stood by him and took the younger leader with him, splitting with Paul. That's in Acts 15, 39 through 41. Apparently, Mark grew into his role because Paul called for him as he was aging in 2 Timothy 4.11, and Mark went on to pen the first gospel that was published. 
Now, Paul planted the most churches. John Mark wrote the first gospel. Barnabas was instrumental in both of those lives at significant moments. And my guess is that you probably are envisioning someone in your mind that always at just the right time just breathes life and grace in you. That's someone that most likely has the created design of exhortation. Number five, giving. That's an overflow of tangible grace to others. Now, on day five, God spoke forth the fish and the birds, followed by every other living animal. That's in Genesis 1, 20 through 25. And in the animals, we witness a new facet of the created order. We see relationships begin to take place, something that until this point hasn't happened. Animals begin caring for each other in a special way, connecting in groups in a way that was different than how plants did. Whereas plants do have symbiotic relationships with one another, animals create habitats. They gather food for their young and they give of themselves in a unique way. Well, some people give of themselves in a unique way too. They have the gift of giving, a way of extending themselves in a way that overflows with life and grace. In the same way that parents don't consider what they are giving when they tend to their young, these people never see it as a loss when they extend themselves to others particularly when leveraging resources to empower someone else. King David is a prime example of this. He earnestly wanted to build a temple for God. However, the Lord promised to him that the project wouldn't happen in his lifetime, that his kingdom would be firmly established, but that his son would build the temple since he wasn't so occupied with war as David had been. David's response Well, he made all the plans and raised all the provisions for the temple so that the next generation could easily just step in and build something that he would never see. You see that example in 1 Chronicles 28 through 29. He literally set Solomon up for immediate success on that project. You probably know someone like that, someone who never thinks about the cost. They never see anything as a loss. They just invest and steward and overflow in tangible ways to other people because that is their unique bent. That is their created design. Number six, leading. That is showing the way and empowering improvement. Well, on day six, God created man and woman in his image, Genesis 1, 26 through 30. He gave them a unique position to steward all of creation to, in effect, make creation better by their presence. Of course, there are people with a unique design whereby they do that at an extremely high level. Now, men and women were given dominion and authority over all of creation. Adam was given authority to name the animals. Eve was known as the mother of all the living, even before she birthed a child in Genesis 3.20. All humans have dominion. It's who we are. However, some people have a special ability to lead and to exercise authority in some of a way that things are better because they are present and providing direction to others. Whereas all people are destined to, as Romans 5.17 says, reign in life, these individuals often create order and that empowers them to do something and then point the way for others blazing a trail that makes what was once impossible now become possible and accessible for many other people. Now, Peter's a great example of this leadership type of creative design as well. Peter did what a lot of leaders do. He acted impulsively, jumping out of the boat to walk on water in Matthew 14, 22. 
He rebuked Jesus in Matthew 16, 22. Uh, he even promised Jesus that he would die with him in Matthew 26, 35. That's a leader's natural bent is to move forward. And it illustrates why we must begin at instructional obedience with, with the will of God and what he's written, as we talked about in talk number 12 of this Life Lift series. And it's why we must remain tethered to scripture rather than simply focusing on our gifts and our abilities. Peter eventually learned to demonstrate leadership in an incredibly healthy way. The same boldness that once seemed impulsive, it was present in the upper room when a disciple was chosen to replace Matthias in uh, Acts 1.15. Matthias took Judas's place. Uh, shortly thereafter, he stood and made sense of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the first post-resurrection Pentecost in Acts 2.14. And my guess is you know someone that might seem a little bit impulsive like that, but, but when they're walking in the wheelhouse of prayer and scripture, that impulsiveness, it's actually this unique created design whereby the Lord uses the natural way that he's made that person to blaze a trail for all of us. Number seven, the final created design is mercy, and that is creating sacred space for rest. We read that on day seven, God rested from his labor. That's in Genesis 1.31. He saw that all of his work was good, and then he ceased working for the day. This was a unique moment because later Jesus tells us that the Father continues working even now, John 5.17. And by their very presence, though, some individuals bring others into a place of rest, just like that seventh day of creation where we, we work leading up to it and then we work after it. But while that person's there, in that moment, they have a gift of saying the right thing, of creating the right environment, or simply being present, and it puts others at peace. Often these people can create a holy moment, sacred space at any time and place, just by the mantle they carry. As a result, people feel comforted. They feel at peace. Their strength is renewed. James, who's Jesus' younger brother, is a great example from the Bible. Though he uses words to convey this, he seems to be a man of mercy. If you read his epistle, you may get the idea that he's all uh, black and white. Um, but, but when you read, you notice that he talks about demonstrating tangible mercy, like caring for orphans and widows in James 1.27, of, of feeding and clothing your brothers and sisters in James 2.14 and 15. And when he was at the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, his response is profound because the question was posed as to whether or not circumcision and other elements of the law would be required for Gentile converts. And James is the one who created peace by laying very few requirements on the converts. This is in Acts 15, 13 through 21, if you want to look it up and read it. In fact, without his leadership in that moment, without the mercy that he extended in that way that what was could have, could have been a potentially hostile and loaded environment with lots of contention, without his merciful leadership, it's doubtful that the early church would have continued growing through the Gentile nations as rapidly as it did. And my guess is you know a person like that, that just by the very presence that they carry, there's peace. Well, but let me give you a practical example because as we talk through those descriptions, one or two of those designs may have resonated with you. You, you can probably identify your creative design by just evaluating just what we've read, but I want to give you really what would be a hypothetical situation, and I want to talk through it 
And, and what I want you to do is I want you to think about how you would respond and also how you think others would respond because so often others respond in ways that we wouldn't and then it's easy to think less or to think different of them. And what you're going to see is we actually need all of these designs. Remember, we're one body. We need each other. And we're not totally complete until we have each other. The, the purpose is not complete. The design, the mission is not complete until we're all walking together. So here's the scene. We're at a birthday party. There are dozens of us present. The host calls the birthday girl to the center of the room, and the rest of us gather around. A friend lights the candles and then begins making his way through the room as we all begin singing the song off-key, of course, because it's always off-key. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. And it's awkward, it's beautiful, it's fun, but at the precise moment that we mention the birthday girl's name in the third line of the song, someone who's maneuvering to grab a photo and place it on social media, they bump into the man bringing the cake to the forefront so that our birthday girl can make a wish and blow out the candles, and then the cake tumbles to the ground, landing, of course, face down. Now the upside is that the cake smashes out the candles. There's no fire. No charred spots, even on the rug, because we have the icing. The downside is that the cake is now ruined, destroyed, gone, kaput. Now, freeze the frame. I want you to think about how each of the people in the room react. And of course, I want you to think about what you would do next. You won't have to do any soul searching on this one. In fact, you probably already see yourself in action. You're likely visualizing what your mother, your spouse, partner, friends, others, boyfriend, girlfriend, kids, what they would do. I bet that this is what would happen. I'm going to go through the gifts in order, the designs in order. The prophet speaks out immediately. They, some, they, they probably say something intended to be encouraging, but it probably feels a bit judgy if they're not careful. If you weren't in such a hurry, this wouldn't have happened. And, and that might have been said to the cake deliverer or to the picture taker their intent will be to bring order but it might because of this situation come across a bit abrupt and tense just in this example uh, the servants probably don't say anything at all they just begin cleaning up the mess if they do speak it's simply to find out where the garbage can is and then where the rest of the trash goes out for collection the teachers might evaluate for a few moments when they speak they do so analytically well if you'll just rearrange the furniture or if we could just get everyone to sing from a different place in the room next time they may even provide suggestions to you on how to do this better next time number four the exhorter they just want the party to continue cake or no cake everyone's there and that's what matters let's just keep celebrating we still have ice cream we have other snacks and there's presents no need to stop the givers might run to the store and buy another cake without even being asked. The leaders begin telling everyone, particularly the people standing around, what to do. The mercy showers console the person who dropped the cake and the person being celebrated. Both of those people, you know, they may even say, oh, yeah, I've dropped many cakes before, you know, that kind of thing. Now, I want you to think, of all of those, which people do we need the most in that example? Or who do we need the most if, we change scenarios and find ourselves at the scene of a car accident in which a few people are banged up. You see, there's a place 
for everyone. We need all the responses. We need a prophet to speak immediately. We need a servant who doesn't speak. They just start cleaning. We need a teacher who analyzes how to do this again better. We need an exhorter who encourages the party continued. We need a giver who's on the way to get yet another of whatever we need. We need a leader who tells everyone what to do. We need a mercy shower who consoles us. You see, with that mental framework, you can probably recall other instances in your life where you've seen different creative designs at work. And rather than creating a source of tension and conflict, we should, we can embrace our differences. You see, in everyday life, each design is needed. And in ministry, each design is valuable and well. You need each design on teams. You need each design in schools. You need each design in families. You need each design in the church. We don't want to judge others for how they're created. We need every design. And we don't want to mold our spouses or kids or friends into someone who they're not. We want to celebrate who God has made them, realizing they fulfill a purpose that we can't. Many conflicts are caused just by not understanding how others are wired. We see things and we serve from a limited perspective. We're able to step back and pause and see things from their vantage point. That changes and it helps us see that we're better together, particularly not when we function the same, but when we all function and live from our different strengths. Not only do we see politics and Bible verses and music preferences differently, we see ministry needs differently. We see fallen cake needs differently. We see car wrecks differently. We see life differently. And if we'll acknowledge and embrace those differences as part of our God-given created design, we can accomplish far more together. Now, I have a lot of tools in my garage. Over the past 10 years or so, I've done a lot of work on houses where I've lived. When the house I lived in for 13 plus years, it was a major fixer-upper. And after promising myself I would never renovate another house, I bought and completely overhauled a new home that was theoretically move-in ready. I never had any construction experience before working on my own homes, so I learned everything I know by purchasing books at the local shops and then trying what I read in the text and observed in the pictures because I was doing that all before YouTube was ever even a thing. In the process, I became acquainted with dozens of tools, many of which I'd never seen before my home renovation excursions. Now, in every instance, the truth is the same. Once you understand what the tool was created to do, you know what to do with it. It's like hardwood floor nailers, they're terrible for framing houses, you can't do it. Screwdrivers are a miserable way to install a fence. But when each of these tools are used for their design purpose, they make work faster, easier, and more of a delight than a drudge. In the same way, understanding how God has created you is one of the first steps in recognizing how the Holy Spirit uniquely expresses himself through you. When you understand how something is made, you understand what it was created to do. And when you understand how God created you, you begin to understand your unique place, your purpose. Churches, ministries, they often take this one-size-fits-all approach and they attempt to jam people into the same specific mold, into the specific jobs and tasks which someone in the church decided needed to be done. Sometimes that someone is a committee and Quite often, the task is simply being perpetuated because it's something we've always done before. But if God has placed the members of the body with that body just as he wants them to, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 18, 
And if God has a unique design, a design that truly determines not only what we should do, but where in the body we should be. For instance, you wouldn't use your hand to walk, nor would you place your foot on top of your head, right? If God has given us each other for the common good of all of us, which is what 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, then doesn't it make sense that we embrace our created design and the created design of others? Because again, once you understand the design, you begin understanding the purpose. My sign off for this is, May the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, may the Lord be gracious and shine His face of favor on you. And as He shines, may you see the unique bent that is upon you, that has been on you since you were born. May you start connecting the dots and see where certain talents and traits emerged all throughout your life. And as you do that, may you celebrate that in you and may you have eyes supernaturally to see this in other people around you. And may you celebrate and encourage them with the word of that this week. Grace, peace, until next time. Shalom.